The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Then, then some of the... Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Siva were doing this, but the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them, so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon, upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they, and they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. All right, let's pray. God, we just thank you for this time. We thank you for this word. Um, we just ask that your Holy Spirit just come into this place. Uh, may you just come into our hearts. Uh, may you just fill us with uh, the things you want us to hear and to uh, take away for this week, God, um, as we're sent to, to work, to uh, family, to uh, wherever we are in this city, God. Uh, may you just bless Randall and uh, the words that he speaks. Uh, yeah, may you just be in this space, God. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Bailey. All right, good morning, everybody. Um, we are in Acts 19. We're looking at verses 11 through 20. And what a text today for Halloween, right? What a text. Um, we're, we've been studying the books of, book of Acts, if you're just joining us today. And uh, this is, uh, I would say, one of the strangest episodes in the New Testament. Um, and it's a scripture that I'd never preached on specifically, so I'm excited today to break this down. Um, so the message for today is the reality of evil in a reverence for Jesus. The reality of evil in a reverence for Jesus. Um, if you're just joining today, um, you know, I, I, I've been uh, pastoring Grace City for, for six years. And, and one of the things that um, I've seen is, you know, like, um, it's not only that We've been a, a church here in the, the community in the city, but uh, my family's been a part of it as well. And so seeing not only the church um, start to be a, a part of this community and city and just seeing how this, the city's changed, but also how my kids have changed. And one of the things is that they, they love to do is, is to uh, go out for trick-or-treating. And so that they, you know, they have um, grown up, and this has become one of those times of the year where they've really enjoyed it to go out. And, 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 and the thing I've noticed is it's really the only time of the year that I, I, I've seen in our community where people actually come outside. They enjoy, they, they come outside and they're like open to, to meeting you and talking with you and all of that stuff. And so it's like Halloween is one of those times of the year where I'm like, man, this is like the most I've ever seen my neighbors. Honestly, I've, I've never, like, you wouldn't let me come and talk to you before, but now we're, we're friends, you know, and so it's interesting. Um, but, and so this week I went um, trying to help my kids, like, round out their costume, and, and, and so I did the dad thing, and, like, I was looking around at different places, and I'm like, you know what, I'm going to go into 
this Halloween store. And I usually don't go into those places. Um, they make me feel uncomfortable. Uh, but I walked into this one. I'm like, you know, I'm going to walk in and just kind of see what they have. And walking in, it reminded me of just how dark our culture has gotten, right? Just how dark it is. Like, I remember when I was a kid and I would like walk into stores like that and it was not, it, at least in my mind, it was not like that. Um, it, like, it was like when I walked into the door, I was walking into a horror movie. And I would never take my kids inside of that store because of some of the things that they would see and they would experience. And I'm like, and when we talk about evil, darkness, all of those things, even this text today, we say we would live in a culture that doesn't really believe in that stuff. But I would beg to differ. Because all we have to do is today look around, drive through your neighborhood, uh, turn on the TV, uh, look around at the different costumes that are coming out. And yes, we do believe in darkness and evil. And in many ways, we're surrounded with it. And what I found is that we don't really take it uh, very seriously, but it's kind of like no big deal, right? It's like no big deal. But I hope that the text today reminds us that there is actually a reality of these things, but there's also a reverence for the only one who I believe can overcome those things, the only one who can overcome the darkness, As we look at this, the, the, the ministry of Jesus, one of the things you don't see in the Old Testament is a lot of this. You don't see a lot of this. But when Jesus comes on the scene, we actually see there, there's a lot of like Jesus casting out demons and doing all these things. And the question is like, why does that happen? Why does it happen more in the New Testament than, than what happens in the Old Testament? The, the, the answer is when God in the flesh comes, he starts to point out and say, this is what's behind it. This is the reality that's behind it. Basically, Jesus' ministry was pulling back the curtain and saying, look at the world that you're living in. Look at it. Right? It's there. It's in front of us. It's, it's all around us. In our, in our study of the book of Acts, we've seen this too. The apostle Paul's traveling to, to many places, which would be spiritually dark places, we see that he's experienced beatings, he's been imprisoned, he's, he's seen idol worship, he's, he's experienced evil practices that are going on. And, and for him, as he walked into communities with the power of Jesus, we see that the evil around him was brought to light. Things started to happen. Eyes were being opened. Paul later says in Ephesians 5.11, he says, take no part in unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. And so as Paul's walking into these cities, and what we're going to see today is that uh, these the cities were filled with really dark practices that instead of engaging in it, he exposed it and pointed them to the only one who could overcome the darkness. Just to give a little background on Ephesians, um, the Ephesian people in, in, in Ephesus, um, they were a community that was steeped in the supernatural, the occult, witchcraft, all of those things. And some of us, uh, that stuff, it might make sense. Like, oh, yeah, like I've seen communities that are kind of like this, right? That, that don't, that they actually are really steeped in like dark practices, like really evil things. 
For other of us, we've never been in communities like that. It's kind of like on the surface, like everything seems like it's all good and everything's okay. But what I want to say is that at the end of the day, it's all about what's the trajectory. In his book, Screwtape Letters, um, C.S. Lewis says, there are two equal and opposite errors in which our race, he's talking about the human race, can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve their existence. Um, The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves, he's talking about the devil and demons, are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist or magician with the same light. What's he saying here? He's saying that we can be blinded in, in two different ways. We can be blinded by the fact of saying, well, that stuff's not really real. It's not there. Or we can be blinded by just going in and, and just jumping into and having an excessive, like, attraction to evil. He says both of them are, are two common errors that can happen. And you can be one camp or the other camp, but both of them are destructive. Why? Because it leads to the same place, which is far from God. Far from God. See, the Bible tells us that evil is real, and it equips us to have a healthy perspective on how to live our lives in a dark world. And what we see is that there were religious leaders who looked at the people and instead of trying to help them, wanted to take advantage of them. They wanted to take advantage of them by selling to them more and more dark practices so that they could make money. At the time in Ephesus, there, was, uh, there were traveling exorcists for hire. And in that culture, Jewish leaders were, um, were highly regarded, but they started to dabble in these types of practices uh, because they wanted to gain more money for themselves. So they kind of sold out to what everybody else was doing and they started doing the same practices um, like those in Ephesus and they just kind of added on their whole Jewish lineage. And what today's text is going to remind us of is this, that number one, God is not for sale and neither is the gospel. It's not for sale, right? This is to overcome the reality of darkness that's all around us. And so our text is Acts 19, 11 through 20. And, and we got to ask the question, how does God overcome evil in Ephesus? What we're seeing here. Well, it's this. It's when he, number one, reveals his power. Number two, exposes secondhand belief. And number three, restores holy reverence. Reveals his power, exposes secondhand belief, restores holy reverence. So the first one is reveals his power. Look at verses 11 through 12. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. This is a really interesting passage, but what we've seen in the ministry of Jesus is that, remember when Jesus walked through and the woman who was suffering uh, from a a blood disorder touches his veil, right? And and he says, who touched me? And then she's healed. So what we see is that the ministry of Jesus is carrying on through the works of the apostles, through Paul specifically, and so through the 12, 
There is the ministry of Jesus that's continuing into the world, and uh, that was a specific ministry. But what we see is that the important thing is this. Where did the power for miracles come from? Verse 11 tells us the first two words, and God. And God. God was doing miracles through Paul. We see in this passage that God meets the people right where they're at. What did I just say before this? That, that the Ephesian people were more on the end of like the supernatural and they were looking for miracles and they were looking for all these different things. And so what we see is that God doesn't come in and condemn them, shame them for that, but he actually meets them right where they're at. And how does he do this? Through the Apostle Paul. And he starts to do miracles that were bitter, bigger and better than the, the magicians and the people that were surrounding them. God is meeting the people right where they're at. But what we need to understand is that this is descriptive. So uh, like we said, Luke is writing this, and Luke is a doctor, okay? And so Luke is, he's, he's telling it how it is. He's, he's a historian. He's very technical in the way he writes these things. And so he's not just saying these extravagant things, but he's saying this is actually what happened. He's, he's a reporter. And so this is descriptive, but we need to understand it's not prescriptive, it's not instructing us to go out there and be like Paul and say, okay, let me pray over this handkerchief and then put it on these people and all those things. And, and what happens is that we see today, there are people that will be on TV and will do the same thing. They'll say, I'm praying over this handkerchief. I'll send it to you in the mail. You just pay me $99.99, right? You send it. You, and for some of us, we're like, ah, I'm not gonna believe that. But there are people who actually believe that because they're looking so badly for, for a miracle. And there are people who will be spiritually manipulated because of this. And you know what the, the whole goal is? Financial gain. Financial gain. The heart of it is financial gain. And so what, what is happening here is Paul's coming in. And it's not about financial gain at all, but it's actually about helping the people. See, the goal is not to entertain the people, but it's to radically see them saved and transformed by God and brought from darkness into light. See, all of these miracles that are spoken about here were accompanied by Paul's preaching about Jesus and the gospel. Remember last week, we talked about this. We talked about the gospel message in which Paul had brought to that community, and so it was accompanying what he was doing to prove that it was true. And what we see is that God is the source of this power, not Paul. Now, this is really important. Ephesians 3, 7 says this, of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. What is Paul saying here? He's saying that God is the, the one who's transformed me, who's radically saved me, who's brought me into this relationship with him, like we talked about last week, by grace. I didn't pay for this. I didn't earn it. I didn't have any of those things. I was the, he, he calls himself the chief of all sinners. He says that God could save me, the chief of all sinners. All right, so again, what we're seeing is the miraculous power that God was doing wasn't in a handkerchief or a, a miracle of somebody being healed. Ultimately, it was in being healed from being uh, brought from darkness into light, from being distant from God being God's child. That's the ultimate miracle. And 
Paul talks about that again, again, and again. And he said it was God's power working in me. And so this uh, God first, to overcome evil, it's, it's revealing his power and God. God did this. But next, we see this. It, it exposes secondhand belief. God exposes secondhand belief. So look at verses 13 through 16. And then some of the itinerant uh, Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had uh, evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims, uh, and, and seven sons of, of Sceva, of, or seven sons of the uh, Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them, so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. Uh, that's intense, right? That's one of those scriptures you read, you're like, what, what, what happened? Uh, they, were, they were doing what, and then what happened? You know, that, that's one of those scriptures. I mean, this is, this is uh, an intense situation. But, but what do we see here? Well, well where, where do we see that these, these uh, self-proclaimed exorcists are uh, coming in and believing that, that they had this power? Well, what they believed was that they had this religious power to overcome evil by religious jargon. By this religious jargon, they were coming in and they were, they were, they were basically like doing these like incantations like here, I'm going to say it this way and this is how Paul did it. They were kind of watching from a distance. They were seeing that God was doing things through Paul's ministry. So they're like, we can do that too. We can do that too. There's a formula to this. All we have to do is get the formula right and then we'll be able to do the same things that Paul's doing. We learn that because it says they undertook to invoke. They undertook to invoke. So something came into their minds. They thought, you know what? We got power too. All I got to do is just learn a little bit, grow a little bit in my own knowledge here, and then I'll be able to do the same thing. To invoke. What is to invoke? It's to, to believe that you have power over evil. You have some kind of power that you can do something over evil. They, they, they undertook to invoke saying these things. See, what they were doing was they were learning Christian terminology, but they weren't learning Christ. They learned about Jesus and what Jesus can do, but they didn't know Jesus and what he can do. Do you see the difference there or what's happening here? They were using the name of Jesus, but they didn't have a relationship with Jesus. They probably heard the gospel, but they didn't understand personally the gospel power in their own lives. See, for us, we might distance ourselves and say, man, I'd never do that. I'd never do what they're doing. I mean, that's, that's crazy. Why would they go into these places and start to do that? But we have to say that even in the church today, there's just Christian terminology and words used 
that we can use and kind of add on into our lives to make other people think that we're spiritual, that we know Jesus, that we're something that we're not? Question is, do we dress things up in Jesus to try and get Jesus to do what we want? If I just pray this prayer and then say in Jesus' name, and I can pray whatever I want, but I, I just add Jesus on there that he's got to do what I say. Do you see what they're doing here? They're doing the same thing. They're, 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 they're just saying, okay, we're going to go in there and we're just going to add Jesus' name into this and then obviously he's going to do what we said to do. But it doesn't happen. Next it says that, um, and starting at the end of verse 13, it says this. I adjure you by the, the name of Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Whom Paul proclaims. And then something that should be really um, examining happens. It says, but the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, Paul I recognize, but who are you? Jesus I know. That word for know is, um, is basically like an intimate knowledge. Demons, fallen angels, they're created beings. Who were they created by? God. And Jesus has been around from the very beginning. And it says in James 2, you believe in God, you do well. It says even the demons believe in God and shudder. See, it's one thing to, to, to know about them. It's another thing to actually know him personally. And they said, yeah, Jesus, yeah, the, the, the one who created all things, yeah, we know him. The interesting thing is it uses a different word next. It, it uses the word um, recognize. Paul, I recognize. Uh, basically, it's, it's, it's the same word kind of like for respect. Uh, it says that, yeah, we, we, we recognize Paul. Do, do you think about that for a minute? That's, that's interesting, right? They're like, yeah, we, we've been talking about Paul. He's been doing some things around here. We don't like what he's doing around here. He's kind of messing things up for us around here. You know what I mean? Like he's disrupting some of the, the, the evil things that we had planned here. Yeah, we don't like that Paul guy. Yeah, I recognize him. But who are you? <laughs> who are you guys? What, what are you doing in here thinking that you can come in here and disrupt what we're doing? Who are you? For us, I think it's, it's really uh, something that we should all kind of ask ourselves too. Like who? Like I said, our culture is just filled with a lot of darkness, right? And one of the things that we think is, well, it's not that bad. I can kind of fill my life with like all of this stuff. I mean, they're, 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 I can watch these movies. I can, I can do that. And, and again, like 
But what do we say? I got it under control. I got it under control. I can fill my life with this stuff. I've got it under control. But what are we doing? It's the same thing the evil would say to us. Who are you? Who do you think you are that you, can, you think you can control this stuff? Did Paul think he could control it? No. It wasn't Paul controlling his life saying, I can control the evil. He was saying, no, I'm controlled by a greater power than the evil. I'm controlled by God. My life is surrendered to God. And so they recognized Paul because his life was surrendered to the power of God. Not because he had some innate power to overcome evil walking around, right? See, they, they may have been able to deceive people with their secondhand spirituality, but not the evil spirits. So what does this secondhand belief look like? Well, I was listening to a message by Martin Lloyd-Jones, which was super helpful for me to, uh, this week. But he says this. He, he says their whole approach to Christianity was twisted. Their whole approach to the Christian message was twisted. These, the, first, it says that they were Jewish exorcists. And so here's the thing. They thought that they could add the name of Jesus to their already existing beliefs. To their already existing beliefs. Well, I have some beliefs. I believe these things. But I'm just going to sprinkle a little Jesus on top and then everything's going to be good. So they just had these, these personal beliefs already that they were holding to, but they thought they could sprinkle on Jesus and go do things in that same Jesus' name. They believed in a Jesus plus whatever they believed. But Christianity is not that. See, they wanted to use Jesus, but they didn't want to receive Jesus. They wanted to keep him at a distance as long as they could use him for what they wanted. Hey, this is a lucrative opportunity for me. I'm going to go out there. I'm going to do some spiritual stuff in Jesus' name. And uh, that's lucrative for me. Sprinkle a little Jesus on top. Second, it says that they undertook. Here's the thing. They thought they could take up Jesus and it, as long as it benefited them. I'll take up this Jesus stuff as long as it benefits me. The question we need to ask ourselves today is this. Because we want to distance ourselves from these people. I'm not like that. But, but here's the question. Do we take up Christianity when it benefits us but put it down whenever it doesn't? Benefits me right now, but you know what? I can take that Jesus thing. I can take that Christianity thing and put it to the side now. No. See, here's the thing. You and I can't undertake Christianity. We can't put on Christianity. We can't take it up. Because real Christianity takes you up. It, it takes a hold of you, right? It grabs a hold of you and says, here's where you're going. Because it's the power of God. It's the power of what he can do in your life. 
few years ago, me and my wife got to go visit the Nepali coastline up in uh, Kauai. I'm, I'm originally from Hawaii, and so got to visit one of the beautiful islands of Hawaii, uh, Kauai there. And um, me and my wife, we were celebrating our, our 10-year anniversary. And I remember she signed us up for this boat ride, right? We were going to go on this boat ride to go visit the Nepali coast because you can't uh, get to the Nepali coastline uh, just by trying to drive there or anything like that. You have to, like, go around in this boat or helicopter. And so we were doing the boat, and I remember getting in. It's like this... this not very long boat, right? It's just it's kind of a small boat, but sturdy boat, and we get in there. And um, I'm holding on for dear life because this thing is just shaking and, and all of this stuff. And he's, the, the, the captain's telling us about, um, you know, the timing and all this stuff that we have to go and, and, and see this, um, this beautiful coastline. And so we're, we're riding around and doing all this stuff, and, and he's like looking at his watch, and he's making sure that we're on time, because here's the thing. And he told us this. He says, like, we're out here. We're doing this, but we're on the ocean schedule. We're on the winds schedule. Like, we got, we got time, but you know what? Like, they, we cancel trips because it's not safe to be out here, and you're not going to survive if you go out just on your own. We were under the power of the ocean. It had a, it had a grip on us. And we had to maneuver and, and go in different directions based on what the ocean told us we could do. When... Jesus comes into your life. You can't just pick it up and put it down. No, what happens is Jesus grabs a hold of you and says, no, this is where you're going. This, this I am directing you now. No longer do you have a grip on this and saying, oh, it's my grip on, on God. No, it's God's grip on you. Do you see the power of that? Do you see what God does in our, in our hearts and our lives See, we are no match for the power of the, the living God. What can we learn here? Well, Jesus' name is not to be used or manipulated for personal gain. And what do we see happen here? Well, it says that the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. Um, I like it how Matt Chandler said, he said, you know, basically, if you go into the house with pants on and you leave with no pants, you lost. <laughs> you lost, right? It's done. Like, you know that you, you have no power here in this situation. You have been overpowered, right? And so I think that's, that's true here. It's very clear that these uh, exorcists have been exposed for their secondhand belief. It wasn't real. It wasn't real. But lastly, we see that it restores holy reverence. Uh, look at verses 17 through 20. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also, many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices and a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them 
and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. Now, we don't, they don't know the exact numbers of, of how much this is, but they say this is in the millions, millions of dollars that they said, we're, we're done with this, burned it all up. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Uh, late comedian Norm MacDonald was on this uh, show. He was a judge on The Last Comic Standing. And there was a, a, a guy who came out, a comic, and he started his routine. And Norm's listening. And the guy uh, says that there was, there was a, he was riding in New York on the, the train. He says there was a guy who quoted the Bible at him. And so this comedian says, well, if you can quote your favorite book, I should be able to quote my favorite book. He said, um, men do not live on bread alone. The guy says that, Matthew 4, 4. And then he says, everyone is a little magic, Harry Potter, chapter 6. Um, he says, one of those, and, and this is what the comedian says. The comedian says, one of those uh, is a classic about a man who sacrifices himself for the good of the world, and the other is the Bible. And... The judges were praising the man. They were saying, man, you are so brave. Uh, great joke, hilarious, we loved it. And then Norm MacDonald says this. He says, I don't think the Bible joke was brave. He says, I think if you're going to take on an entire religion, you should know what you're talking about. He says, J.K. Rowling is a Christian, and she famously said, if you're familiar with the scriptures, you can easily guess the ending of her book. Hmm. says the whole crowd, and I watched the video again, it's just like they were stunned. Because here's what they were stunned by. The fact that their favorite book, Harry Potter, could actually be pointing to something greater. Jesus, what? McDonald was uh, quoted as later saying, you know, he, he was listening to this comedian talk about this, and he said, um, yeah, he's like, I read those books with my daughter, uh, or my child, and then um, I looked it up and, and saw that she said that, J.K. Rowling said that she had uh, based her books on the New Testament. Now, what was he doing? What was happening here? The gospel was being mocked. Jesus was being mocked. It was laughed upon. But in that moment, as he was saying these things, he was actually restoring the beauty of the gospel. I'm just going to say it. Jesus is better than Harry Potter. Okay? The gospel is better than any book or message that we can put our hope in in our lives in and say, oh, yes, we love this or we love that. Because, you know, at the end of the day, if it doesn't point to the greatest story ever told, then we're missing the point. And what happens here in Ephesus when the people hear about the seven sons of Sceva who thought that they could manipulate and use the name of Jesus? Well, there are two parts that happens. First, there's a reverence for Jesus. Look at verse 17. And fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Jesus is better. Jesus is greater. Jesus' power is true. It's real. But then what follows is there's a repentance in life. Verses 18 through 19, and also uh, many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practice. They said, hey, this is actually what I've been doing. 
I've been actually filling my life with this junk, with this garbage, with this darkness. And I, it's, the, the curtain has been pulled back and I'm, I'm seeing what it is and it's destroying my life. You know what John 10.10 says? It says, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus says, I have come to bring life and bring it to the fullest. Have you ever felt that before when you're on this downward spiral and you just keep consuming dark things? And it just keeps, it feels like this heaviness that you keep bringing into your life. I remember before I was a Christian, I would watch scary movies all the time. I would watch them all the time. And I remember I went, I became a Christian, I went off to college, and I came back home for a weekend. And I was hanging out with one of my friends. They're like, hey, you want to go see this one movie? I was like, sure. Scary movie. It was like, okay, yeah, let's go. And I remember walking in and like sitting there and watching the movie. And I, I got up probably about five, six, seven times in the middle of the movie. And I went to the bathroom. And I'm like, what's going on? Like, I couldn't watch it anymore. I couldn't be in that. I, I couldn't, like, consume it anymore. It just made me feel, like, completely uncomfortable. Like, it, it gave me, like, this anxiety that I, like, it just felt like I just can't do this anymore. And what it was was I was a new creation. I was a new person. It, was, it wasn't like I had a grip on evil anymore and, like, oh, yeah, I can, I can do this. I can watch these things. I can kind of control it. Like, no, God had a grip on me and says, you don't need to be there anymore. You don't need to consume this stuff anymore. And what's happening here is there's a repentance in life of these believers where they're saying, you know what, like, we, we, we don't want to be this anymore. We're, we're like saying, hey, this is what we've been doing. This is what we've been in, in, a part of, and, and we don't want that in our lives anymore. And so they just started confessing it, divulging their practices. And it says they, they got rid of it. It's basically like, like, Deleting the app, taking that, that collection and saying it's out, and they just burned it. Said, I don't want that in my life anymore. And what happens for them is they start to focus on Jesus, not these religious leaders who are coming in, talking about themselves and pointing to their own power, but looking to the ones who said, Jesus is the real power, Jesus is greater. And so just some takeaways today. How can we grow in a reverence for Jesus? Number one, I would say check the grip. Check the grip. Do you believe that you're gripping God and that you can kind of pick it up and put it down, put him down whenever you want? Or do you believe that he's gripping you and, and it's like, he's got such a tight grip on my life. Like the only thing that I can say about my life right now is I am who I am by the grace of God. Because that's what the Apostle Paul says. He says, God's got a, such a tight grip on my life that I am who I am by the grace of God. And friends, I can look at my life and say, man, I am not the person I would have been if it was just me. And my hope is the same thing for you. His power is greater and his power is good enough to, to change you and to transform you from the inside out. See, it's, it's that test of, it's not just like, who am I, but whose am I? Whose am I? Man, I'm God's. And as much as I try, like I can't, I can't get out of his grip, man. He just, he has such a tight hold on me. 
And he just keeps bringing back to himself. The second one is examine the belief. You know, is this, the, the, the thing when we talk about like a secondhand belief is like, is this about my belief? Do I believe this or is this someone else's belief that I'm just kind of picking up and taking on to myself? Right, it's okay to explore that and to say, okay, yeah, maybe my, my parents were Christians, but am I really a Christian? Right, does God have that grip on my life? Have, have I personally started to dive in and ask those questions? Or is this just a secondhand hand faith? Because here's the thing, the darkness will test this. It'll test this. Luke 22, 31 through 32 is one of the most chilling scriptures for me. Here's what Jesus says. He says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Do you see what that is? That, that's God coming in and, 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 and saying to him like, hey, there's gonna be some darkness that's gonna test you. But remember who's, got your, who's holding you. And you're gonna come back and he's strong enough to, 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 to keep you and to hold you. But that, that thing of like Satan demanded to have you. He demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. Man, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus, he came to bring life and bring it to the fullest. Next one, know the enemy. Know the enemy. Sinclair Ferguson says, um, as in all warfare, the two essential elements in victory are knowing your enemy and knowing your resources. And so the reality is the Bible talks about three enemies, the world, which again is like the temptations of the world, um, the way that the world is. It's not gonna be going in the flow in the direction of God, but it's actually gonna be going in the direction against it. Um, the flesh, and so the personal battle that we face, you can read about it in Romans chapter seven, and so he said there's a conflict that's within us. Galatians chapter five, he says when you become a Christian, there's like, it's, you're gonna be feeling like a pressure or a tension. It feels like there's a tug of war in your life. And then the last one is the devil, right? But the reality is, you know, it's, it's not going to be like the devil all the time. It's not going to be demons. It's going to be, a lot of the battle is going to be the, the world and the flesh. That's going to be a lot of the battle, right, on a daily basis. And so know the enemy and God's spirit is able and has the power to overcome that. Um, but what we need to understand is this is very nuanced, very nuanced, Mental health is real. There's a brokenness in physical, the, the physical body, our minds, all of those things. Medicine is good, like those things, you know? We need to understand that. But, but here's the thing, like, we live in a broken world, and we need to pray, God, help me. Help me to know how to grow in you. Romans chapter 8 talks about God's spirit. I encourage you, if, if this week you're like, okay, how do we overcome this stuff? Read Romans chapter 8. I think it will be a great encouragement to you. Lastly, stand in Jesus. Uh, I like this quote from, from Timothy Keller. He says, Satan doesn't control us with fang marks on the flesh, but with lies in the heart. Let that settle in for a minute. 
You know, we think it's like this kind of grandiose horror movie, all this type of stuff, like, oh. No. It's the lies he feeds us on a daily basis, and that's a lot of the battle that we face. And will I believe the gospel again? Will I believe that it's true? Will I believe that Jesus' power is enough? Because Romans 1.16 says that the gospel is the power of God. The power of God unto salvation. You wanna know where the power of God is? Paul tells us it's in the gospel, the good news of Jesus. The dunamis, that, that, that's the power, like the same power that it talks about with the, the wind and the waves and all of this stuff, like the power is in the message of Jesus. Colossians 2, 14 through 15. This is the gospel, friends. It says, having canceled the debt ascribed to us and the decrees that stood against us, he, Jesus, took it away, nailing it to the cross. And I love this, verse 15. And having disarmed the powers and authorities have made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them by the cross. Do you know what he's talking about here? The powers and authorities? It's the same ones that he talks about in Ephesians chapter six. There are, he says, your battle's not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, the powers of this dark world. As Jesus pulls back the curtain of this world and says, yeah, you're not just fighting against like just your daily life. There's, there's a struggle. There's a spiritual battle going on. He said, ultimately, the power is all found in Jesus. And look at what he did. You remember what happened with the seven sons of Sceva? They ran out and they were a spectacle. They were a laughingstock. People were like, oh, man, they have no power. And do you know what Jesus did to those powers that made those seven sons of Sceva look like fools? He made them look like a fool on the cross. When the enemy thought it was all done and Jesus was nailed to the cross and he gets put in that tomb, it seems like all hope was lost, but it wasn't. Because when Jesus rose from the dead, that was the power that overcame all darkness. The darkest day brought the greatest light. Do you see it? 1 John 3, 8 says, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. And so how does that work into our lives? What do we need to be reminded of today to remember that Jesus' power is greater and to have a reverence for Jesus and what he's done? Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your strength, for your power, that many times we don't really think about this, we don't read stories like this, but then on days like this, we need to be reminded that we have the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Lord seated upon the throne who came to overcome the darkness, to destroy the darkness so that we could live in your glorious light. Help us, Lord, to live in your glorious light and teach us today what that looks like because we know the draw of this world. It just wants to pull us in. And we could just get further and further into that, that tailspin of just going down deeper and deeper in that rabbit hole, Lord. I pray that you lift us up and remind us of just the beauties of Jesus and what he's done. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. 
If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.